Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 55th episode, and I'm here after what was supposed to be the weekend of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. But of course, that didn't happen, and for good reason. We'll get into that in a second. But first, a quick reminder, please go to the link tree in the description. It includes links to the podcast pages. Like all the platforms you can find this podcast. It also has my YouTube channel where I just posted a video quite recently. Of course, my Twitter for Break Bias and my TikTok. Uh, it also has my personal email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now, before we get into the Monaco preview, uh, let's talk about Imola for a moment because uh, there's some things I have to talk about there before we get into the race weekend in the Principality. Well, my fellow F1 fans, the Emilia-Romagna region of Italy has been seeing some of the worst floods in the history of the nation, as pretty much all of you will know at this point. 14 rivers have broken their banks, flooding 23 towns and forcing the evacuation of thousands and thousands of people. The floods have caused also billions of euros worth of damage. You know, people have lost their lives. And this severe flooding doesn't just leave short-term damage you know, this has huge economic impact. And for example, you know, the regional governor uh, said in a quote that, you know, agriculture was hit particularly hard. Um, all that is going to be extremely hard to recover. Um, so for, you know, at, at the end of the day, F1 is just a sport. Um, the track is located, you know, in the town of Emla, which is which is in that region. And F1 I'm glad they did. They made the swift decision to pull their equipment out, which apparently was actually damaged to an extent as well. But they donated 1 million euros to flood relief. um, And actually the larger Ferrari, you know, organization, the car maker Ferrari, also donated 1 million euros um, to flood relief. So, you know, great move by the both of them. Um, But, you know... A lot of people, whether it be F1 staff, journalists, and team members, already arrived and and found themselves stranded there. Um, They, of course, made the right decision to pull out still, but, you know, some of the damage, just on the F1 uh, side of things, if you will, um, had already been done. The AlphaTauri team also is based out of Faenza, um, which is a city also in the Emilia-Romagna region, uh, and it's just down the road from the track. A lot of the AlphaTauri team, you know, were staying at the factory because they couldn't get to their homes. Nick DeVries, one of their drivers, of course, was trying to get to the factory um, from where he was staying, and he got stuck. He actually ended up finding a lone overbooked hotel where members of the McLaren team were held up. Kind of an interesting little F1 story, and Luckily for Nick, uh, he was able to stay with one of the McLaren members. I believe it was their front jack man. So kind of shows that F1 is still a community, even though, you know, those guys aren't on the same team. Um, but Nick actually, I think, did he do? Did he end up doing an FP1 with McLaren last year? He did it with like half the grid, so probably. Um, but just another cool thing with AlphaTauri 2, you know, Yuki Tsunoda. He's been, you know, somewhat of a midfield superstar this season. He was actually seen cleaning up streets in Faenza. Um, pretty awesome seeing him go out and do that work. I know Lewis Hamilton actually, com- I think he shared his story and then like put a little message saying that like, 
uh, he, he gave Yuki Tsunoda props for leading by example and uh, and getting out and doing the work, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, this is a 22-year-old kid. That's uh, I think he's 22, maybe 23. Either way, Yuki's either my age or one year younger. So I guess if you guys didn't know, that's how old I am. Anyway, uh, a fundraising effort has also been uh, set up for Alvatari members as well, the ones with, with families most affected by this or, you know, just themselves who have been affected by this. Um, another kind of interesting nugget about this too is uh, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali is actually from Imola. Uh, so I could just imagine he is also probably devastated by this tragedy. Um, it's likely he has family or friends who still live there or nearby if he doesn't have property there himself. Um, and then another kind of layer to this, which I think everyone can agree is important, but it's definitely less important than, you know, just the flood relief efforts and, and just kind of, you know, the overall tragedy that has struck the region. But for the spectators, who, of course, were planning on attending the Emilio Romagna Grand Prix, um, F1 said that all buyers who have purchased tickets through the sales network and uh, one of their purchasing platforms are informed that the opportunity to convert the tickets purchased um, on that uh, purchasing platform um, can either, you know, attend the 2024 event or just get reimbursement, which is great to hear. Um, So I just want to say on behalf of of this podcast and which is just myself um that of course my thoughts and prayers go to uh everyone affected by this um and again on a really kind of a relevant note um it is a bit of a shame just from a sporting point of view that we didn't get to see the new qualifying format or you know the big upgrades that were coming to Imola of course it also could have been our first weekend of f1 racing in the rain but you know all of that is is so secondary it's the fact that i even have to you know bring it up is is just kind of questionable because it's it's just not about that right now um and i just feel for everyone in that region of italy who is uh is going through this this pain because honestly guys if you haven't seen photos of it, it is it is horrific so um yeah, it's it's a tragedy and it's a shame, but um, the Formula One circus goes on, um, and they have already set up in Monaco, um, which is what I will be previewing now. So let's get into it. So the Monaco Grand Prix, the most prestigious weekend of the season, unless. Somehow Las Vegas overtakes it. It still won't be because prestigious doesn't mean glamorous. Glamorous weekend could now go to Vegas. But prestige, it's Monaco. And it's not even really close. Um, So storylines going into um, one of the most famous weekends of the year. Also controversial weekends of the year, of course. Is that, first of all. The race direction, guys. If you didn't know this, the I should have actually wrote this down. It's like the uh, Autosport Club of Monaco or something. Oh, I should have looked that up, actually. But anyway, basically another organization um, in Monaco, a racing organization in Monaco, that you know held the race every single year. It was an exception to the rule that, for whatever reason, they were in charge of 
race direction and not race direction from like a stewarding point of view. I mean, from like cameras, they were running the race. So what you saw on, on TV was their decisions, not F1's decisions. You know what I mean? So that also um, trickled down into uh, their choice of who is sponsoring each race. So I'm not sure if that has changed because I know there was a controversy also like Rolex, I think is F1's one of F1's biggest sponsors. If not, I think it's a title sponsor. Um, and then I don't remember which watch company it was, but then the Monaco Grand Prix just had like a rival watch company like plastered all over their boards. So that's just kind of basically where that issue came from. And also, of course, if anyone remembers, this has been an issue longer than just, you know, back to 2021. But in 2021, one of the only overtakes of the entire race, I believe it was Sebastian Vettel going around the outside of Pierre Gasly. And of course, that is where the infamous Lance Stroll meme was born that F1 actually posted on their Twitter. It wasn't to announce, you know, that they were going to be in charge of race direction again. But they still posted the You've Been Lance Strolled meme because just as we're about to watch Vettel make the only overtake of the season, the uh, race direction in Monaco decided to show Lance Stroll, like, hitting the barrier or something. So, uh, yeah, that should be better. But even F1 race direction isn't always perfect. But the Monaco one has been a little bit problematic in years past. So hopefully that improves what is already sometimes a dull Grand Prix. Um, but also, that could be new camera angles this year, which is also kind of exciting because I believe Monaco is always stuck to the same ones. So maybe this year looks completely different. Something to look out for if you've been watching multiple Monaco Grand Prix for years. Um, so a few other things. I don't really know what order to go in. Um, so I'll just quickly mention this because I'm going to have to bounce around a little bit, I guess. But the McLaren um, team has come out with a livery for their... I guess, cars in Monaco, um, called the Triple Crown Livery, which is paying homage to uh, the fact that they are the only constructor to win the Monaco Grand Prix, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, and the Indy 500, which I will briefly say, McLaren just had a worldie in, uh, at the Indy 500 qualifying, to all four of their cars in the top nine, um, and I am mostly an F1 guy, I try, I, I, I you know, I try to follow a little bit of F2, um, some of the feeder series, and I try to follow a little bit of Indy 500 now just to, um, you know, I can't even think, stretch my motorsport knowledge. Um, so I did kind of follow along what was going on with the Indy 500 qualifying, um, and I am going to try to watch the Indy 500 as well this weekend. But of course, I get booked to work on a weekend, which I usually don't on the weekend of the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indy 500. So that is just fantastic. But I will try my best. Anyway, the livery looks fantastic. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance to see it, look it up. Um, it's not quite as good as their golf livery, I would say, because that is an iconic one. But it is pretty sweet. I, I'm a big fan of it. Um, and there, I guess, isn't is a chance that Williams tries to do their own golf livery, um, unless it's actually, is it already out? Just hold on, guys. I will look this up on the fly here. Williams Golf Livery. They teased it. Okay, so if if you're seeing this, um, I haven't seen it yet. I guess it's not out. So I apologize for that and wasting your time. God. Um, 
So let's just move on to the next topic because I think this one we might need to take a bit more time on, and that is the huge rumors that Ferrari is offering Lewis Hamilton a contract somewhere between 40 and $50 million to drive for their racing unit. So I thought I would kind of break this down from all aspects, basically what this would mean for Hamilton, what this would mean for Ferrari, for Mercedes, and basically just the whole driver market as a whole. So let's start out with Lewis Hamilton. Would he want to go to Ferrari? Now, here's the thing. I, I Everyone always talks about the allure of Ferrari, but right now, Ferrari is in no better um, position to, you know, get Lewis his eighth title um, than Mercedes is. In fact, Mercedes arguably could be in a better position because Lewis is already in that, you know, he's already within that team. Yes, he has to contest with George Russell, but if everyone is kind of assuming that it would be because, oh, Charles would be going to Mercedes because his future with Ferrari has been up in the air. But I feel like it would be to replace Carlos Sainz. So having to contest with Charles Leclerc is really no better than having to contest with George Russell. So that kind of washes itself out. Um, I think even with Mercedes getting this error completely wrong, Ferrari still looks like an absolute mess. Yeah, you might make some more money, but everything. Hamilton's been a Mercedes man his entire career. I think you're also throwing away, um, you're not, maybe not throwing away, but you know, if you stuck with that team the, your entire career, I think you would be able to reap those benefits after you retire. If you wanted to stay involved with Formula One, you would always have some sort of ambassador role um, there with Mercedes where that could possibly be in jeopardy if you left for Ferrari, right? So honestly, um, I think this is a point that I have heard, you know, this, this is uh, obviously a topic that excites all people like me and F1 journalists and just content creators, um, you know, a, a driver as, as polarizing as Hamilton going to a team as polarizing as Ferrari would just be a match made in heaven for, for the people that make content. Um, so of course this topic has been widely, widely discussed and I am actually probably one of the last people to get to it just because of my schedule and I was away for the weekend and that's why this is coming out late on a Tuesday. I apologize for that, by the way. Um, but I have not heard this point made and I think that Hamilton is so ingrained within Mercedes and it almost just doesn't really make sense for him to go to, go to Ferrari besides this point that everyone brings up about, you know, the allure of Ferrari and, and, um, all the greats put on the red and win in red and, and all that. But, um, if Hamilton were to go to Ferrari, I think that would look pretty bad on Mercedes. I think a lot of people are like, this is a potential for Mercedes to, you know, look ahead at their future. And I'm getting ahead of myself, look kind of looking at their aspect of it. But honestly, I think it would take that much for Hamilton to want to leave Mercedes that it would show that he has lost faith in their team. That's how I would take it. And I, I'm a Mercedes fan, so maybe that's what gives me that perspective. But honestly, it just it would be crazy for him to leave, especially this late in his career when it's a sideways step. So honestly, I feel like he would just be taking a total shot in the dark hope that Ferrari can sort it out because he has lost complete faith with Mercedes. That's how I would see it for Lewis. But honestly, my prediction, I guess I could have left this to the end. But anyway, you're going to know my prediction right away. 
is that it's not going to happen. But why would Ferrari want Lewis Hamilton? Well, you'll have to ask them because I actually don't really understand. Why would you want a 38-year-old who, I mean, he's looking like he's just as good as George Russell at the moment. Um, If I really wanted another driver in my team, I would not be, you know, after Lewis Hamilton. I think Carlos and and Charles, that dynamic that they have is a one-two dynamic, which is perfect. Unless they don't believe in Charles anymore because he's crashing too much and whatever. I still don't think Lewis is the answer. He's such a short-term answer. They need to be looking at someone like Lando Norris, in my opinion. Um, Or perhaps, I don't know, maybe even uh, getting Ollie Behrman um, within the team as early as possible so that he could be ready for a push in 26 or something like that. Um, Because he is an F2 driver who is looking like he is full of potential. I mean, if you saw his performance in Baku, that was just absolutely stellar. I think he was the first person of all time to... In F2, I should say. The first driver in F2 history to win, to get pole, to win the sprint race, and to win the feature race. That is pretty special. And not to mention, he did pole. He did pole. Wow, I sound like an amateur. He got pole um, with a bent steering wheel. (laughs) I am not making that up. Um, I apologize if I already mentioned that in the Baku review, but I don't remember talking about it. Anyway, I'm getting off way off base here talking about Ollie Behrman, but I honestly don't really understand why Ferrari would want to do that. Although I did learn from the race that, you know, driver contracts aren't a part of the budget cap. So that is something, you know, with Ferrari absolutely loaded with money, they can spend a hundred million on drivers if they want. They'd still be spending less than they used to on Formula One. Um, but I I just don't really get it. I mean, it doesn't look like Hamilton is an absolute world beater. Like, I would be paying Max Verstappen anything you possibly could to get him out of Red Bull because he does look like the world beater and that he would beat every single driver on the grid if they were his teammate. Lewis doesn't even look like that guy anymore. I mean, I know that's a bit harsh to to put that on a seven-time world champion, but it's just the truth. George Russell has come in and made him look somewhat human and also this car that he's just not comfortable with. Um, so who's to say that you know it would be even better him venturing out into a brand new team with a brand new engine that he's never driven before it's no guarantee that it's going to get better it might be the same and then why pay him 40 million and he'd probably just retire in a few years anyway right so it doesn't really make sense now for mercedes quickly i already kind of said that a lot of people would see it almost as a positive you know it's been discussed too if mercedes should consider moving on from lewis um just to you know start their future sooner I think what they have right now is good while they are you know struggling two experienced drivers is is going to be you know beneficial for their fight back to the front now when they get to the front it's better to have that one two dynamic but I think where they are right now their driver lineup is is as good it's the best one on the grid and having a great you know, one-two punch for lack of a better word. I mean, I don't like that term because I'm calling it a one-two like hierarchy that is good when you're, you know, like a Verstappen Perez, it's perfect. Even though they're kind of fighting this year, it's still very much a hierarchy in Red Bull. It's not in Mercedes right now as much as some people might think it is. George Russell is not a second driver. If that team's at the front, it could get, you know, really bad again like it did 
pre-Valtteri uh, Bottas with Nico Rosberg. So I get the point with, you know, you don't want that, but they're not there yet, and they're probably very far away. Having an experienced guy like Lewis around is, is just better, I'm sorry, than, you know, taking a risk with a young driver. Although I think the only exception to that is if Mercedes could get Lando Norris, I think that would almost be worth it because he is world championship potential. But at the same time, you run the risk of also having two drivers who are so good that when you get to the point, like I just said, that you are fighting for championships, that Lando and George are going to be tripping over each other. Um, so that's why I think back to Ferrari, it's fine keeping Carlos. He is a clear number two behind Charles. The hierarchy kind of works. So that's basically how I see it. But let's entertain the fact that Hamilton does go to Ferrari and just quickly talk about the effect that would have in the driver market. So it's tough because you have to pick, okay, which driver is leaving. So let's say it's Charles Leclerc. I think almost everyone would, would think that Charles would be heading back to Mercedes in almost a trade because that's the only other top team that's left. Now, Charles and George would be an absolute wild driver lineup that I would love to see. And Hamilton and Signs, I think, would be back to kind of that hierarchy that Hamilton was used to. And I think arguably could actually be better for him and it would maybe boost his confidence that he'd be getting the better of, of Carlos um, most weekends. Although Carlos definitely does have the odd weekend where he's strong. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Carlos is trash like Darnell, that guy on King of the Take. Oh, man, he hates Carlos Sainz to hear about it all the time because when I spoke to him at the beginning of the season, I predicted Charles, uh, Carlos to have a good season and he was right on me right from the start that he's he's been struggling. But anyway, um, I think that's probably what would happen. I think that could actually be beneficial for Hamilton. I don't know about Ferrari. And then, of course, you know, they have two, they as in Mercedes, have two young drivers locked in. But again, going back to that point of, of just having two young, hungry drivers who could easily be tripping over each other if uh, if and when that car becomes competitive. Now, if it's just a simple trade-off, nothing else really happens. But if Hamilton takes over Signs and he joins with Leclerc, which would also be a crazy lineup, I'm not sure Mercedes would take Signs. So now, who would Mercedes want to sign on? I don't think they'd be bringing in Mick Schumacher from their reserve drive. So they would be looking elsewhere for a second driver and honestly I think you have to be looking at one of the McLaren drivers to poach if you want to go Oscar Piastri and go super young or you you try to get Lando Norris other than that who else is out there right um I don't think you're gonna get anyone from the Red Bull Academy and that includes Alex Albon you're not gonna want to bring back Valtteri you're not gonna want to bring on Joe or, or Sargent there's Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon waiting there in Alpine, but do you really want to sign one of them? I don't want to call them mid, but, like, are they really good enough to be in a top team? I'm not sure. You know, Gasly had his opportunity. He blew it. Esteban Ocon's he, – he is kind of the epitome of mid. Let's be honest. He's just a solid midfield driver. Strolls in Aston Martin. Alonso's not leaving for Mercedes. That doesn't leave a whole lot. So – I think you'd have to try and poach a McLaren driver. Um, you're also not going to want any of the, either of the Haas drivers, of course, or you're just looking at promoting an F2. They have Frederick Vesti, but 
from, is Frederick Bessie really ready to be in a Mercedes? That would be pretty wild. So then you're looking around, and that almost does leave just Carlos Sainz, unless you know a team signs up Carlos Sainz and they drop a driver um, that you know could become available for Mercedes. It's a tough one. I really don't know where they would have to go. Um, but if I were them, I'd be doing everything they could to try to pry a McLaren driver out if that happened. I just don't think it will. Anyway, we haven't even got even close to actually talking about Monaco yet because, of course, I think that is a pretty interesting topic to talk about. Um, also, kind of driver market related, which I wanted to kind of put there together because it's a similar topic, and that is just, is Nick DeVries totally just screwed at this point? I mean, even if DeVries starts to go on a bit of a run of form and look better here, with Liam Lawson absolutely, I shouldn't say dominating, he looks so freaking good in in Super Formula right now, Japanese racing series. I mean, he was the first rookie to ever win in his debut race, and then he just won his second race and is leading the championship. And what I don't know much about Super Formula guys, so I, I take this with a grain of salt, I guess. But I have heard that this is an incredibly hard series to try to adapt to, and a driver as young of him as him going against you know veterans in that series and coming out on top it is really really impressive. And Lawson had a bit of an unlucky F2 campaign last year, but as a rookie, he was still very strong. I know I've talked about it already, so if you are an avid listener of this podcast, you would already know what I think about Liam Lawson. I think he is deserving of that Alvatar seat. Now, do I think it should happen mid-season? I don't know. Maybe just let Lawson finish out his season in Super Formula. Let Nick DeVries have his one season in Formula 1. Um, there's really no rush for AlphaTauri, in my opinion. Um, but I think already next year you have to be lining that up because Lawson looks fantastic. Um, and Nick at the moment just doesn't. But give him a bit of time. But I already I get I do get it. You know, he's a twenty seven year old rookie, he's not a nineteen year old rookie. The time is now to perform, Nick DeVries. And uh unfortunately, if you don't you're going to get axed very quick and your dream of Formula One ends in the snap of his fingers. Um, but anyway, let's get into some track stuff, okay? So I always go through the results of last year's Monaco Grand Prix. And thankfully, I am not a Ferrari fan or else I might have to start crying mid-podcast because last year... Checo took the win after he spun his Red Bull in qualifying, whether intentional or not, is still unproven. But that kept him himself that kept him ahead of his teammate on the grid. His teammate, of course, Max Verstappen, who is not happy about it, come literally 25 races later in Brazil. That's an exaggeration, of course. But um, however, it wasn't just about that. Ferrari locked up the front row. He kept himself ahead of Max, but great, you're third. So what? Ferrari, that's what. Um, they locked up the front row and still managed to blow it. They didn't win with either one of their cars. They completely threw away uh, a win for Charles Leclerc, who was in first until basically strategy came into play, and they put him in fourth. I think Carlos was very smart from the cockpit to make the call to go from wets to slicks, um, where Charles just went with his team's strategy, believing that they wouldn't screw him over royally, and that's exactly what they did. 
of course, it was a crazy weather situation that did make strategy um, pretty difficult, and that's what opened up the opportunity for Red Bull. Um, and to be honest, actually made Monaco somewhat interesting, albeit extremely long. I don't know if you remember that. There was kind of chaos before the race. Um, this year, honestly, we can only be so lucky to go through that again. Mind you, we did wait a long time for the race to actually start. That could happen again this year, actually, though, guys. Um, the weekend in the Principality is calling for rain. So it's looking like qualifying is almost guaranteed to be wet. The race could also be wet. I'm actually kind of hoping quality's dry. I'd love to just see who can be the quickest um, of you know the teams on the grid right now in Monaco because I think that is a lot more up in the air. Um, where if the race is wet, totally fine with me. That I don't need to see a dry race. I would like to see a dry quality though. Um, that might not be the case, however. Um, so I'm kind of teasing a little bit that I think this is going to be a, a close weekend. So. My prediction, guys, my prediction is this is going to be a crazy one. I'm actually really, really looking forward to Saturday, of course. Sunday in Monaco, not so great. Um, many believe that this could be the one venue where Red Bull is vulnerable, Fernando Alonso included, um, where you know the drag of the Aston Martin won't be so much of a factor. They're just as quick as Red Bull through the corners. They just have no speed on the straights. And, you know, the strength of the Ferrari in the slow-speed corners like last season will be displayed once again. I think it could be interesting, especially with, you know, the Leclerc curse still alive. Even though he's so good here, he just can't convert. He That was the first time last year, you know, that was his best result. Even though he was basically crying from the cockpit, he still got fourth, which is by far his best because the first time he actually got the checkered flag. Um, but, of course, we also don't know the impact of the upgrades for those teams and and Mercedes being one of them, still very unknown. I doubt it's going to make a huge difference regardless, let alone at Monaco, but we don't know. So for Paul, with all that being said, I don't really buy it, guys. I, I think Red Bull will still be on top. I'm sorry. I think it'll be closer um, just because it's a short lap, and it is a lot more of a it's driver. It comes down to the driver a lot more. Um, so honestly still gave me Max Verstappen on pole, probably by under a 10th of Checo. Cause you know, he is the street circuit King. Um, he will definitely be close this weekend. In fact, he was actually just better than Max Verstappen last year. This is a different, you know, the RB 19 is different than the 18. So I'm going to back Max to be on top of Checo, especially with Max having the momentum after Miami. But I could see Checo being better than him for sure again. I still think Leclerc and Alonso will probably be within two tenths and, and making it really close and probably at the top of the timings throughout Q1, Q2, and Q3. Um, but in the end, I, I'll take Max Verstappen again. And honestly, for the race, it's basically I, – I, if Max Verstappen starts ahead, I have no doubt in his ability and Red Bull's ability to capitalize that um, and turn it into a win – he has struggled a bit in Monte Carlo, though, in the past. So if he does lose out on quali, I think there could be an interesting strategy race similar to last year um, where, you know, perhaps, you know, with some mistakes by some drivers in, at the back, bringing out safety cars and whatnot, too, um, that it could get interesting, especially if it rains. That makes it, of course, even more interesting. But either way, I think Max will win. But I do agree with everyone here. If Alonso were to get win number 33, it would be here. And it would be now. 
So I am really looking forward to see that prospect of another team possibly outperforming Red Bull here. But I'm I'm not with kind of the public here saying that Red Bull's just all of a sudden not going to be the fastest. I still think they will be. It'll just be a little tighter, which is exciting. I'm like I said, I'm really looking forward to qualifying, but I'm still back in Red Bull to be honest, guys. Uh, my bold prediction: we'll be staying on the Yuki Sonoda train because I had Yuki Sonoda, you know, having a great great performance in Imola. Now I think. Because they didn't get to race in Imola, AlphaTauri's home race, I think he grabs huge points for the team back at the factory, and it becomes one of the stories of the season. I'm upping his P8 or P9 finish to a P7 or P6. Crazy crazy results can happen at Monaco because it comes down to the qualifying, and then if you qualify well, you can hold position. So I am back in Yuki Snow to have a worldly qualifying. I think Mercedes, you know, with their upgrades... They're going to have to go through a bit of a learning. Maybe the drivers aren't very confident. I could see them having a really bad weekend because of that. Um, and it look, could look like it's disaster in Mercedes and then come Spain, everything's a lot better. I think that's a very real possibility. So I think that opens up the opportunity for Alpines and, and other midfields uh, teams. I think McLaren could honestly look really good here. I think there's quite a few teams that are looking at this weekend and being like, this is a massive opportunity for us. But I think with the way Yuki Snow is driving – with the motivation from what has gone on back at Fienza, I think he has his best drive of the season and grabs huge points here. And I am backing that in Brad's bets, which is a perfect segue. Ride the bias every weekend, guys. I would be reviewing my picks in Imola, but of course that didn't come to fruition. So this week we're going straight into my picks. I think there's all sorts of interesting opportunity here in Monaco because I don't know if the books really understand the equalizer that is the Monaco Grand Prix with some of these uh, opportunities that the teams see for themselves, I guess you could say. Um, So Max Verstappen to win is plus 125. I like that one a lot. You know, also because the, the win from pole position is so common here. I think it's also worth a try to, um, you know, if you think he grabs pole, it could be worth going for his double, getting plus 225 odds. I did burn on this in Miami, so just keep that in mind. Um, but I think it's definitely a decent bet. Plus 225 odds for Max Verstappen to grab pole and then convert it into a win. That's, that's pretty good. Usually you're looking at minus money for that. So uh, over triple your money for that is is pretty awesome. And I think Fernando Alonso is definitely, he's eyeing a win here. So the fact that you can get him just for the podium at plus 110, double your money again, I really like the Fernando Alonso podium bets. I'm going to keep hitting them um, until, you know, Aston Martin proves that they're not really in the podium fight anymore. Also, Yuki Sonoda, of course, I like his points finish, plus 200. I'm backing him for a P6 or P7 you can still get him at triple money for a P10 again, and that's basically where he's been finishing all damn season. So, um, yeah, honestly, guys, I like a lot of other bets too. I definitely think it's worth taking a look and finding some of your own this week because there's so many good ones. Um, it's just a great weekend for for F1 betting. So I got two long shots of the week too. Usually I'm only doing one, but I got two just because there's so many that I like this weekend. Of course, we're riding with my bold prediction, and that is to take Yuki Sonoda top six finish 
plus 1600 that one is a bit crazy i will admit um if you don't want to ride with me i totally get it because it is nuts that a yuki sonoda top six finish which seems so impossible at every other track but monaco it still has shorter odds than leclerc pulling back you which i did hit um i think it's possible that he finishes top six but like jeez it's it's i I would be getting twice the the payout for that leclerc pole than i would be for something like this that is why i said i don't know what the books were smoking when they gave out those odds for for pole and baku um but anyway the bonus long shot of the week since it's monaco and that there was no retirements and in the last race reliability has been pretty decent this year and like I said, Monaco, the odds of a retirement go way, way, way up. But I think plus 2,000 for it to be a repeat of of, of um, Miami with no retirements. All the drivers keep it neat and tidy. They understand that the risk is not as good as the – or it's not worth taking the risk. All 20 drivers crossing the finish line is a huge, huge payout. So uh, – I think that one could pay off. If you think I'm crazy for both those long shots, I don't blame you. That's why they're long shots. Um, but I'm, I'm throwing it out there for anyone who is interested in uh, really, really gambling with their money and not not really taking the safe picks that I've offered to you earlier. So, yeah, that's going to do it, guys. I think this was a really fun episode, actually. Um, again, my, my YouTube video, my karting experience is, is still out on YouTube, so check that out if you still haven't got a chance um so that will do it for episode 55 of break bias i'm your host brad kramer and i'll be back with episode 56 monday i promise monday to review the monaco grand prix it'll be great to get the f1 cars back on track goodbye